So what I, I knew I was forgetting something. <laughs> what I forgot to mention during the announcements was that today, tonight, we will continue uh, with the um, precepts, the five precepts. And this is a practice of uh, reciting a commitment to non-harming. These come straight from the Buddha's teachings. It's really the foundation in many ways to our practice. And it's something that we've been doing this month. And so uh, if you're not familiar with the precepts, uh, I will read them out loud first before, before we all say them together. Um, but if you're not familiar with them, if you would prefer not to uh, commit to the practice of the precepts quite yet, uh, you'd like more information, I did give a talk on the precepts at the beginning of this month, so a couple of weeks ago, and so you might listen to that, and then next week we'll recite them again. So if you want to commit to them next week, um, that's just fine. The commitment uh, of taking the precepts is not something to take lightly. Um, This is a really strong practice that, in a way, roots us in the Dharma, in our daily life. When we are not living in accordance with these precepts of non-harming, meaning that we are, in fact, causing harm on some level in the world, either to other people or even to ourselves. It affects our ability to see clearly. It affects our ability to practice. It really affects everything in our spiritual life. So to take these is not something to take lightly. So if you don't want to take them this evening, um, that's just fine. If you are wanting to take them, or you took them already and you'd like to retake them, oftentimes we have to retake them (laughs) as a reminder of what it is that we're committing to. Um, These are not commandments (laughs) that, uh, you know, if you break them, you know, you're going to hell or something like that. This is really a training. This is, as in fact, the way that we take them is to say, I undertake the training and so we come back to this training over and over again. So some of you are, will take this for the first time this evening. Some of you will be retaking it with me. So let me read through them so you know what they are. I undertake the training to refrain from harming living beings. I undertake the training to refrain from taking what is not given. I undertake the training to refrain from sexual misconduct. I undertake the training to refrain from lying or unwise speech. I undertake the training to refrain from taking intoxicants that lead to harm. Okay. So we'll do a call and response. So if you'd like to right now take these precepts, you are welcome to. I undertake the training to refrain from harming living beings. I undertake the training to refrain from taking what is not given. I undertake the training to refrain from sexual misconduct. I undertake the training To refrain from lying or unwise speech. I undertake the training. To refrain from taking intoxicants that lead to harm. When I come to offer a Dharma talk and I come into this space and I come up to the altar here, before I come up here, I take a moment 
and I put my hands like this, and I lower my head. And different teachers uh, do this for different reasons. One of the reasons I do this is um, to pause, to, to just stop, and to become present. And then I often uh, ask, just put it out to the universe, um, that I may stay rooted in the Dharma. And it's just a really simple intention to stay rooted in the Dharma, but it's not easy to do. So quickly I find my own personality or my own kind of sense of me, me, me comes crashing in. And that, that sense of being rooted in something that's much wiser and deeper and bigger than myself um, suddenly gets cut off. Happens in a microsecond. And so I cherish that moment of coming up here and bowing my head um, and, and setting that intention to stay rooted in the Dharma. When we take the precepts, it is a way of, of bowing and, and saying, may I stay rooted in the Dharma, may I stay rooted in, in truth. Uh, may I stay rooted in something that is not my own selfishness. So this practice of non-harming, um, it's even greater than this idea of non-harming. I think it's, it's asking to be rooted in, in something much greater. And as part of the precepts that we, that we take, we look at uh, the third one, which is to refrain from not lying or unwise speech. There's so many ways in which, through our speech, we cause, we can can cause great harm. We can also create incredible connection and beauty in the world. But we, when we're not rooted in something greater than the selfishness or the meanness, uh, it's really easy for us to be cut off from the truth of how things really are. And what comes flowing out of our mouth or into our emails or onto Facebook can be really quite disconnected and actually very harmful. And so as we take that precept, we're, we're at saying that we'll refrain from a certain type of speech. But then we can also flip it to more of the positive of what are we committing to. And in terms of wise speech, one of the ways in which when we flip this, this turns into not just saying things that are kind and truthful, um, relevant, but also the practice of not saying things, the practice of listening as a form of wise speech. And I want to explore this with you this evening, this ability to deeply listen. And this theme actually came up for me uh, from something that I heard on the radio. This is from a uh, perspective, which is a, a piece that they play on NPR And I think this was one of the perspectives that came out just last week. Of San Francisco's many charms, it's those iconic hilly streets that make ours such a picturesque city. As any San Franciscan knows, some streets are so steep that pedestrian sidewalks along the roads are actually cement staircases. And one sunny day, Making my way up one of those sharply inclined sidewalks, I paused to wait for a pedestrian in front of me on the narrow stairs. But it looked like I would be waiting a while because the pedestrian blocking the sidewalk was a very, very old lady. She was carrying two large grocery bags, making painfully slow progress from step to step. I did what any polite person would or should do and offered to help carry her bags. 
She cocked her head and considered, looking me over carefully. But those groceries looked heavy, and it was a long way to the top. She handed over the bags, and we resumed climbing together. Up the, uh, let's see, up the precipitous cement stairs, we rose up, up, up. While she chatted about her long life, a native San Franciscan, she had lived in the same apartment for 50 years, buried a husband from cancer, and lost her son in Vietnam, but just kept going up, up, up. Listening, some stories had me cracking up, others close to tears. She told me how her, her, her street, her steep street had changed through earthquakes, hippies, 70s swingers, and tech millionaires. From elegant days when no lady would be seen without a hat and gloves, to today when people are sometimes seen without anything at all. And ascending the staircase sidewalk, it occurred to me, this is the reason we are all here, to share this long, hard climb listen to each other's stories, help carry each other's heavy burdens, to laugh and to cry together as we make our way slowly but inexorably to the top. I was having such a good time, I didn't notice we'd reached the end of the stairs. It goes quickly, doesn't it? She said to me, eyes twinkling. Enjoy yourself. She thanked me, took her groceries, and vanished into her doorway. She may have thanked me, but I really should have thanked her because I learned something on that hilly street. It goes quickly. For all of us, our long, hard climb will be over before we know it. So as my twinkly-eyed companion advised me, enjoy yourself. I never got her name, but I will never forget her and the day we shared the steep climb to the top together. So while that story says many things, what struck me the most was this um, lesson in listening. In order for that story to actually come together, he had to stop and take in the situation. He could have gone a different route and gotten really frustrated. He could have... Um, tried to move around her. He could have just waited and watched her go up the flight of stairs on her own. He could have turned around and gone back. But he actually decided to engage. And in that engagement, I imagine he really had to stop and connect. He connected with what is really the most appropriate action right now. When we are stuck in ourselves and in our own world, when we are at the center of our universe, we don't usually do that. It takes something else. Even in this really simple example, just by simply stopping and connecting um, led to something much greater. And that's how I think life rolls on, usually. It's usually when we stop and we listen when we wait and we pay attention, when we connect with each other, when we connect with ourself, that there's something actually to be learned. And then as they ascend the stairs, that he just listened. At least that's how he tells the story, that he just simply listened. But it's not simple. When we deeply listen to another person, it might actually go against every fabric in our being, or every fabric in our personality, if we feel like we need to interject or share a bit about us, or um, perhaps just check to see if anybody's tweeted us or texted us in the last five seconds. it, It might not be as easy as it sounds. So when we can train ourselves to really stop and to deeply listen to another person, to really take them in, their wholeness in, something changes. Something changes within us. It's 
um, it's our heart that begins to listen, not just our analytical mind or our judging mind. We begin to uh, learn something. When we listen, we're ripe to learn. When there's no room for what someone else has to say, then there's nothing to be learned. The conversation is over. The connection is cut. I think when we open to connection uh, with others and in this way, it also allows us to see our place in this web of life a little bit clearer. It takes us out of ourselves. Uh, it shows us that actually deep down, and this is something we talked about last week, uh, when we can see uh, past kind of the superficial layers of a story or of what we think someone is, is doing or, or who they are, when we can look deeper and connect deeper with maybe their hopes and their fears, uh, what it is that they really need and want, it's not so different from our own. We end up being able to connect with people that perhaps we wouldn't have even considered connecting with before, but this takes deep listening to each other. So, of course, we are living right now in a heightened time of opposing views and opinions. Uh, I believe those views and opinions have probably always been there, but they haven't been as loud, perhaps, as they are right now at this time in history. So it might be more important than ever to deeply listen, to learn how to deeply listen to each other. Aren't you tired? <laughs> I was thinking about this earlier, listening to the news. I'm just so tired of, of all of it. <laughs> it's exhausting. <laughs> it's exhausting. It's exhausting to take in all this information about what's happening and who's saying what and who did what, who believes what, and then to figure out, well, where do I stand on that? <laughs> on every single issue. It's confusing. It's exhausting. I'm not saying disengage. It's important. We're, we're, we're sitting up right now. We're suddenly, you know, wow, what's happening, right? As a country, we haven't necessarily been this engaged in the past. Something's shifted. So I'm not saying disengage, but I do want to acknowledge just the pure uh, weariness that I think, I know that I feel around, around all this. I imagine that I'm not alone. I've been hearing a lot from people, a um, lot of people coming to either emailing me or coming up and asking me questions about you know, how how do I truly listen and stay present with someone who has such a different opinion and view? Uh, even a, a disturbing, I've heard people say, use the word disturbing opinion or view. I've heard people ask this question about uh, people they really care about. So these are not just random people on the street, but uh, their friends, maybe family members, co-workers, loved ones, how do I stay somehow connected? Um, do I stay connected? What do I do? And it's not actually an easy question to answer. There's a lot of dynamic relationship flow that is happening within those questions. But under it, the question is, I want to stay engaged I want to stay connected. How do I do that when my views and opinions are different from somebody else's? And really under that, what it's saying is it hurts to hear it. It hurts to hear it. I don't want to hear it because it hurts on some level. It disturbs my sense of who I am and who, what I'm standing for. 
perhaps there's even some fear in there. Oh my God, someone actually thinks that way. Have you felt that? The little fear, the tinge of fear that comes at the end of that? You know, I keep reminding myself that most likely, if you could divide the country in two, which I think you really can't, it's much more complex than that. But if you could, uh, for simplicity's sake, I do imagine that on either side, what I just said works. (laughs) So uh, perhaps with my own progressive views, Uh, someone listening to what I have to say would be really quite disturbing and perhaps trigger fear in them. I like to remind myself that sometimes, uh, you know, really, we're, we're, we're really not that different. When we get underneath all the commentary... So when we are confronted by somebody else with an opposing viewpoint, we can go into this kind of recoil. We go into aversion. We don't want it because because of that hurt. Um, Sometimes the reaction isn't this. It's more of a kind of going out. needing to express our side, perhaps even feeling like we need to change the other person's viewpoint. And in all of this interaction, this type of interaction, it's really hard to stay grounded, to stay present, to stay kind, even to stay truthful. Maybe you have found yourself saying something that in the moment just seemed really true and righteous, and then in later moments reflecting on it and realizing, okay, maybe I believe some of that, but some of that was, you know, really just emotion coming through. Maybe it was true in that moment, but it's not actually so true when I sit back and think about it. For example, if you've ever had a conversation with someone that started with the facts and then moved into you know, how you were really feeling about that person in that moment and saying things like, I just, you disgust me, I hate you, I don't like you, I can't be around you. And then later, (laughs) I see some smiles back there. (laughs) So, and then later reflecting on, God, that felt really true in that moment. But I wish I hadn't said it, it's not true anymore. And the regret that follows. So it's really hard to stay connected It's hard to listen. It's hard to simply listen deeply. How when our sense of self is being a bit rattled or our sense of what's right is being rattled, how do we stay steady in that? How do we continue to deeply listen? And when we're deeply listening, what are we deeply listening for? What does that really mean? For myself, I know... I find it most easy to listen for what's underlying the commentary. Is it fear? Can I hear the fear that's under it? Um, Is it delusion? Is it greed? Is it hatred? These, of course, are all the classical roots of ignorance in the Buddhist philosophy the Buddhist teachings. But they help a lot when it comes to listening for the core of where is this actually coming from? Who is actually speaking right now? Is this somebody speaking out of these core delusions? Can I listen for that? And then from there, does that change the way that I feel about this person and what they're saying? Can I listen in a way that's not so personal, but rather um, in a way where I actually feel more connected? Because I understand delusion. I understand what it feels like to be really angry and fearful. 
I understand greed from my own experience of it, from my own actions of it. This is deep listening, when we can deeply listen in this way. And then, of course, there's the other side of it, when we can really deeply listen for the goodness in another person. So this could be a bit of a challenge, a game for yourself, when you have a really challenging person. When you're talking with them, see if there's some way to just tune into the goodness of that particular person. They don't have to agree with you. But perhaps there's something about them that you can connect with. Sometimes when we are focused on the negative of somebody, that's all we see. Our brains are somewhat hardwired in this way. That when we see something that um, is unpleasant, displeasing to us, we really latch on to it, and that becomes that person. We fully identify that person with that personality type or uh, this particular scenario, and we lose the complexity of what every single person is. None of us is just one thing. We are many, many, many different things. And so when we deeply listen to another, can we notice that within ourselves? Do we gravitate to the negativity of our, of our biases or our um, judgments of a certain person? Can we also hold the goodness of a person? Can they be that complex? Of course they can, because they are. <laughs> but can we hold them in that way? This is deeply listening. When we are caught in the opposite of deep listening, when we're caught in our own hatred for somebody else's opinions and viewpoints, and our own delusion and greed, it becomes this cycle. In Buddhism, we call it samsara. Samsara is this word that describes this cycle of suffering that we find ourselves in. And we find ourselves in it for various reasons, but this could be one of the reasons that we find ourselves, especially these days, in the cycle of suffering and stress and overwhelm. And when we're in this cycle, really, it's, it's like this closed fist. We are tightening around the sense of who we are and what we stand for and what our opinions are and what that means about us to have those opinions, and who aligns with those opinions, and can we surround ourselves with those people. And you can see our world and our uh, mind and our heart just gets tight like this. And we start to create a us-and-them mentality. And we believe it, and it feels right. But it's actually this within our core. Some of you might even be feeling this within your stomach these days. So how do we go from this tightness to this? And one of the ways of doing this is this deep listening. Starting to listen for where is this sense of who I am starting to put up my walls? Where where is it triggering the fear within myself, the anxiety within myself. Can I start to soften around that? Can I start to question even that? Now, I'm not saying that there is, isn't wholesome and unwholesome. There's wholesome and unwholesome views. In fact, this is part of the teaching of the Buddha that we're trying to cultivate a better understanding, and through this, to hold wholesome, wise, right view. This is a very important part of the path towards awakening, towards freedom of our mind and heart. So I'm not saying otherwise. What I am saying is that oftentimes what we think is 
our, quote, right view on how things should be and who we are in that should is often uh, very fixed. Often there's delusion there. Often there is seeds for, for hatred there, for disconnect. It's hard to listen deeply when we are constructing our walls around us, when we're constructing this really solid sense of who we are. And so this practice of deep listening, of becoming present, of seeing what is actually going on here, uh, is really an antidote to all of this. It's a way of release, of allowing us to relax this clenched fist within ourselves. One of the ways that I was thinking about this, um, I was uh, I was preparing for this talk. It just I, I always investigate just what is my own relationship with this with this theme, and how has this turned up in my own life recently? And I noticed that when I listen uh, to the news and and what's going on and. Uh, that tightness arises and I start to see the world around me. Uh, You know, maybe I'm listening, for example, I listen to the radio in my car. That's my main source of news these days. And then when I get out of my car, I can feel how that has affected me. My, My tightness, my world is just shrunk I don't really want to interact with other people. I find myself much more defensive all of a sudden. You know, so that that fear part of me has created these walls. I don't want to engage. I don't want to listen to somebody else's viewpoint because I know where I stand, right? And the way that I, as I was reflecting on this, the way it feels is... Almost the the opposite of going to one of those 3D movies where you wear the 3D glasses and you see and everything is coming at you. It's almost the opposite where life, you know, as we experience it in 4D, but we're walking around with these 2D glasses and seeing everything in this very small way, not seeing the complexities, not seeing the ever-changing truth of how things are. That life is always changing. It's always in flux. It's always in motion. When we have these very fixed viewpoints, uh, there's, no, uh, there's no room for flexibility there. And so we find ourselves not in the flow of how things are. We find ourselves constantly coming up against it. And that in itself is dukkha. That is suffering. We start to create our own suffering and our own stress unnecessarily in this way. Sharon Salzberg says that life is like an ever-shifting kaleidoscope, a slight change, and all patterns alter. And this is how life is. So think about it. Those fixed viewpoints that you might have, how does that keep you actually stagnant in a world that is in constant movement and flux, in a world where we are experiencing just this micro-moment of time and space that feels, it's, you know, on a relative level is very important. And on an ultimate level, is just part of a whole weave that we can't even understand. So when we pull our 
our small self out a little bit to take that in, perhaps that too can allow us to let go of some of this holding on that we have created within ourselves. So as we listen to others and we listen for where are the truths, where, is the, where are the hindrances popping up, where is the fear, where is the goodness in this other person, we can see where it starts to tug at our selfness. One of the ways this shows up is in the worldly winds. So this was uh, taught by the Buddha. It's the worldly winds, the, the winds that fan this sense of self. And there are eight of them. So there's pleasure and pain. So you'll see that they, these exist on kind of opposite ends of a spectrum. There's pleasure and pain, gain and loss, praise and blame, fame and disgrace. And so in any of those, we start to create this sense of self, whether someone is praising us and they agree with us, um, we feel the pleasure of all of that, uh, we feel like we've we've gained some notoriety in the way that we that we are, you know. We're feeling really up and good about ourselves. Or if it's the opposite that falls in, and somebody is just tearing us apart, and all those views that we held so strongly, they've suddenly, you know, created a crack in it all, and we're just struggling to pick the pieces up and explain ourselves so that we can get back to that feeling really great again. In either scenario, there's just this kind of icky sense of self in there. The self that we're having to really keep together. It's a lot of effort. It's exhausting. It's one of the things that makes this so exhausting. It's like we're having to bandage this sense of self up over and over and over again with just pieces of tape and string, and, and it's not real. It feels very real, but it's not real. So as we're deeply listening to other people, we learn how to deeply listen to ourselves as well. We do this through our mindfulness practice when we sit here quietly. And so for some of us, our practice is to pay attention to the breath and to the body, to notice the rising of emotions and thoughts, and to see what is actually arising in each moment. And as we're doing this, you can say that we're deeply listening. We're deeply listening to ourselves in a way that when we are disconnected from all that, we can't hear it. It's hard to even access. When we come and we sit and we practice in this way and we're strengthening our minds and our hearts in this way, suddenly we have this portal to something It just feels right. It feels like home sometimes, like a refuge. So we can trust that. We can also listen deeply to the Dharma, to the way things are. At the time of the Buddha, uh, it was said that people just listening to the Buddha would suddenly awaken. It's throughout all the, the suttas. There's all these stories of people who go to the Buddha, he says something, and they awaken, just like that. It's really convenient, and I wish it <laughs> happened more these days. And it's, some say that you know the Buddha had these powers of being able to really see what someone needed to hear, and that was all they needed, and he would wake them up. He knew just what they needed. And so that might be true. And then it's also disputed that people knew how to really deeply listen. 
to what was being said. And that in some ways we've, we've lost touch over time with that ability. We're not taught that. We don't even, we're not even given the time to do that, most of us, in our busy, chaotic lives. And so to stop and to listen, to listen to what's going on on more of a universal level can be of great benefit. I want to read you some lines from the Third Zen Patriarch. It's from Verses of the Faith Mind. And these are verses, this is somewhat of a poem. And they're verses meant to point to a reality that, that can't be grasped by the thinking mind. So it kind of takes you back and forth with your logical mind. And you, there's just nothing to hold on to by the time you get to the end of all the verses. So I'm just going to read an excerpt that I thought would be appropriate for what I'm talking about. It says, The way is perfect like vast space when nothing is lacking and nothing is in excess. Indeed, it is due to our choosing to accept or reject that we do not see the true nature of things. Live neither in the entanglements of outer things, nor in inner feelings of emptiness. Be serene in the oneness of things, and such erroneous views will disappear by themselves. When you try to stop activity to achieve passivity, your very efforts fill you with activity. As long as you remain in one extreme or the other, you will never know oneness." Those who do not live in the single way fail in both activity and passivity, assertion and denial. To deny the reality of things is to miss their reality. To assert the emptiness of things is to miss their reality. The more you talk and think about it, the further astray you wander from the truth. Stop talking and thinking, and there is nothing you will not be able to know. This is a story, um, an anecdote, actually, about Dan Rather, who interviewed Mother Teresa. So Dan Rather, the CBS anchor, um, says he once asked Mother Teresa what she said about her prayers, and she answered, I listen. So Dan turned to question and asked, uh, well, then what does God say? And Mother Teresa smiled with confidence and answered, He listens. For an instant, Dan Rather didn't know what to say. (laughs) So she comes in saying, And if you don't understand that, I can't explain it to you. And so I I love this uh, anecdote. I feel like that's what we're doing. Ajahn Sumedho, who is a uh, monk in the Thai forest tradition, wrote an entire book on his practice, based on his practice of the sound of silence. Um, This is his main practice, is to listen to the sound of silence. And for some that might sound frivolous, with all that's going on in the world right now, It seems anything but silent. But through this practice of listening to the sound of silence, listening uh, almost, and the way I like to think of it is just like Mother Teresa, we're, we're listening to the world listening. It's just this space that is created there. And within that space, the sense of all that selfing can disappear. It doesn't really have room. There's all this space, but there's no room for our selfing in it. 
So I wanted to read you just a piece of what he says about that. Listening to the sound of silence, you can bring, you can begin to contemplate non-thinking. Because when you are just listening to the cosmic sound, there is no thought. It's like this. Emptiness, not self. When you're just with the cosmic sound alone, there is pure attention. No sense of a person or personality, of me and mine. This points to anatta. Anatta is the Pali word for not self. So I thought I'd just take us through a very short practice of this listening to the sound of silence. This is a practice that completely relates to then how we can listen deeply to ourself as well as others. So to begin with, just to sit in a way that's comfortable. You can shift, you can stay right where you are, but find yourself in a comfortable way. Let your eyes close. And so you'll hear noises, including my voice. And then there's the gaps between the noises. See if you can deeply rest your body and your attention, allowing your attention to fully open as if it has no boundaries. You don't have to go out to the sound, but rather have the perspective of the sound coming to your ears. And you're sitting here, receptive. As you do this, and in a moment when I stop talking, you might notice a slight hum. Ajahn Sumedho talks about it as the sound of the cosmos or the hum of the universe. Whatever you hear, notice as you're just hearing, receptive, open, not needing to do anything with it, not needing to change it or push it away. There's really no sense of meanness in that. Perhaps just a a vast openness. So then if you'd like, you can stay in that space or you can open your eyes. It's just something that you can continue to practice with. Perhaps this week, your focus can be on the sound of silence. And see what, over time, what it does to yourself, your sense of self, See if you can connect with that deep, relaxed, receptive place when you're in connection or in contact with another person who 
believes things that are different from you? Can that openness, that unclenched heart, be present even then? Remember that this is a training, it's practice. So it won't be perfection. That takes time usually. But the intention to be there in this way has incredible merit. It makes a huge difference in our world and a difference that's needed right now. So I'll, I'll stop there uh, because of time. I really appreciate your uh, attentiveness this evening. Let's take a moment to dedicate the merit. I'll stay after a little bit if you have questions. I, this, there's a real sweetness in the room. I'd, I'd rather not take questions right now, but just have us kind of sit and be together in the sweetness. And then after, if you have questions, you can come up. But I'll dedicate the merit. So when we dedicate the merit, we're acknowledging that even though we come perhaps for, to this practice to benefit ourself, the benefits actually go beyond ourself. The goodness of this practice has ripple effects that go out into the world in ways we can't understand. And so in that spirit, we can dedicate this practice to all beings everywhere. May all beings feel safe in their mind and in their body. May they be safe from inner and outer harm. May all beings be happy and content. May all beings have health in their mind and in their body. May all beings have the taste of freedom in their heart and mind. May all beings be free. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.